Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Seven words that'll scare any politician. Roy Green is holding on line one. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network continues. I've just been thinking about this over the last couple of days. Surely there are Liberal Party of Canada MPs and cabinet ministers, independent Liberal senators as well, who are shocked and repulsed by their party leader and Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, laying out the welcome mat to returning ISIS terrorists. Islamic State equals torture, murder, gang rape, slavery, genocide teaching children how to shoot and kill prisoners. Who other than Trudeau would even have considered such a cruel dismissal of ISIS victims while publicly saying ISIS terrorists returning to Canada could make extraordinary contributions? If you heard former JTF2 commanding officer Colonel Steve Day on this program yesterday, when he talked about ISIS, he called them cockroaches. And he talked about having seen what they had done when he was in the Middle East. And he talked about how seeing what ISIS had done had motivated Joint Task Force 2 special operators to really go after ISIS. Hannah Bowman of British Columbia is not a member of Joint Task Force 2. She's not a special operator, not a special forces soldier. And she probably has a challenge for our Prime Minister. Hannah Bowman is a Canadian who decided to leave the comfort and the security of life in Canada and join the Kurdish all-women YPJ fighting unit battling ISIS on the front lines in the Middle East. You can watch Ms. Bowman's award-winning documentary of her time as a member of YPJ and how she was pleased to see ISIS terrorists in her gun sight. They, by the way, threatened her with rape, murder on social media. I first heard of Hannah Bowman, I think about three years ago, and I thought that given all the stories that we're seeing now, I'd like to have her join us on the program. Hannah, thank you so much for taking the time. No problem. Um, your, uh, your film is called Fear Us Women. Tell us a little bit about the women who you fought with in the YPJ. Who are they? What were they like? What are they fighting for? Their homes, their life, as they know it? Um, the majority of them are young Kurdish women, um, like a typical army, the conscripts and the volunteers are just young. Um, what their primary goal uh, of the YPJ is to fight for women's right in the Middle East. 
they were doing that before ISIS came along, and they will continue to do that after ISIS is gone. So that's their main motive. Um, in the Middle East, traditionally, women have only been wives. Just your duty is to get married, you, you take care of his house, you have his babies, and you are essentially his slave. It's another form of slavery. So when the white BJ came along, it gave these girls another option. So it makes sense that over 10,000 of volunteers are joined the white BJ. So that's their primary goal. Um, as for them as individuals and stuff, they're just very normal girls. I was really taken aback by just how, <clears throat> excuse me, how normal they are and how every day, there's nothing overly dramatic about them in the sense of like they're warriors or, you know, soldiers or anything. They're just normal girls who just like to do normal girl things but are put, put into an extraordinary circumstance and have to defend their, themselves, their country and their families. So um, I keep wondering, where are these women here in Canada? So they, they inspired me then, they continue to inspire me now. It's interesting you say that, normal people who are put into an extraordinary situation. That's how um, an 84-year-old D-Day veteran from Juneau Beach explained himself or described himself to me a number of years ago. So I was just a guy, young guy. I had a job. I'd just gotten married. I had a, a life ahead of me, and I had to go fight for Canada. I wanted to go and fight for Canada. And then he said, I was so terrified that June 6th day, 1944, on Juno Beach, I was so terrified, but I'd go, go do it all over again. Yeah. That spoke, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that spoke yeah. volumes. Is that how you feel about what you did? It is. I would, I would go back there in a heartbeat if I could. Um, I was watching some of the footage coming out of Afrin, which... Is not getting a lot of media attention here, but Turkey has surrounded the region, and it's traditionally been a, an, an area free of ISIS and very peaceful, and a lot of internally displaced people went there for safety, and now Turkey has surrounded it and is attacking it for no other reason than they're predominantly Kurds. So seeing that, and I'm kind of like, you know, ISIS is pretty much done in Syria, but now they've been replaced by Turkey, and it, it infuriates me, and it makes me want to go back and continue fighting, but as soon as I take a fight with Turkey, then I get labeled a terrorist. Uh, Erdogan, the president of Turkey, has long labeled the Kurds their PKK. Is it PKK? PKK is the political party in Turkey. Yeah, he's long labeled them to be a terrorist organization. And I've, I've I heard just the other day that the Turkish military, at least the uh, yeah, the Turkish military is is now uh, focusing on uh, on the Kurds. What were you doing? What were you doing in this in Canada, if if I may ask? There've been lots of stories about you being a model, and you said that's just clickbait. Um, But what were you doing in Canada before you decided to go and join the YPJ, join the All Women's Kurdish Fighting Force? What was it that caused you to decide I have to do? I have to go do this. There was a couple of events, um, but mainly, like I've been working in sales, and I was very unsatisfied with you know that and. And uh, I just I was just unsatisfied with my life. I felt like I had not achieved anything that was worthy, right? <clears throat> when I would think about my obituary, what would it say? You know, not much. So I just was, you know, was, perhaps it was a midlife crisis. I just felt like I had to do something. And it, and it had been a feeling I'd had for some years. But I couldn't figure out what it was I wanted to do. I knew where my interests were. I was interested in combat photo- photography. I had been interested in that for quite a while. Um, I've been interested in the Middle East. I have a lot of friends in the Middle East, so I, I know that I have a different perspective on li- life in the Middle East is like already. So 
um, when I learned about the YPJ and this Women's Army fighting for women's rights, I'm like, okay, I just, it was a perfect fit. And I had the time and everything to do it. So I was inspired to do it. I couldn't, like I said in the documentary, I couldn't look at the videos anymore and read the stories anymore. I had to go there and be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So I just went. You didn't exactly have a lot of training when you got over there. No, no, no. They told me it would be 45 days, but it was really about four hours. Most of it's on the job training. And they found that you could shoot accurately, so you were you were uh, designated a sniper. I was in a sniper unit in early 2016. <clears throat> and then I transferred units, and then my last unit, I was the only sniper in that unit. So, yeah, you, you had some other Canadian uh, women there with you, too, didn't you? Canada has actually been the best country for uh, women volunteers, other than, you know, the Kurds in Syria and Turkey and stuff like that. There's been, as of right now that I know of, there's been four women from Vancouver to volunteer with the YPJ. The next country after that is Sweden with two. They must appreciate that greatly. They do, and Canada has a really good reputation in the Middle East, more so than a lot of the other countries. Like, they would assume that I was either German or American, and then when I say, no, no, I'm Canadian, they'd be like, oh, Canada's so nice, so peaceful, mm. so beautiful. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. So uh, I was watching your documentary, and uh, you, you talk about having just walking along and you hear, psst, psst. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, my my second unit, my first day at my second unit, um, I was just walking along and uh, a bullet, a sniper took a shot at me, and uh, and I heard the bullet whiz by me and and uh, it's kind of you know it just hit the ground and everything and wait for wait for another shot and then when I hear another shot then I take and I start running. I think because I'm so much taller than the Kurdish girls in general that I made an easy target for snipers. So because I was getting shot at quite a lot by snipers. Were you ready to uh, to fight? You have four hours of training. You've got your uh, you've got your gear. You've got your rifle. You're out there. Somebody's shooting at you. Now it's now it really is the real deal. Now you got to now you have to shoot back. Now you have to your whole your whole attitude has to change. Did you find yourself ready for that? Um. Yes and no. Like the first time, it was like I wasn't sure what to do. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like. I needed confirmation that the people that we were shooting at were actually the enemy, mm-hmm. right? Um, it gets really chaotic, and because of the language barrier, I wasn't sure. Like, there was this one time where uh, we had just pushed into a new camp, <clears throat> and we had set it up, and I was uh, we were standing about maybe 30 meters from the road, and two guys on a motorbike went by. And usually when there's two guys on a motorbike, they're ISIS, they're Dash, and they're scouting. But I was the only one who noticed them, and I started to bring my gun up to shoot them. And I just had that moment of doubt, and I thought, well, maybe they're just farmers, right? So I didn't shoot them, and I thought, well, they're heading towards a checkpoint. If they are ISIS, they'll get the, the checkpoint will get them. So that, that's what I mean. There was a little moment of apprehension. In that case, they weren't shooting at us, so, you know, I could afford to maybe not shoot them. Mm-hmm. But there's other times where, you know, you're in the firefight, the bullets are flying, and it doesn't become... Uh, them anymore. You don't think about the enemy anymore. You start thinking about, or at least I start thinking about the girls in my unit and how we're all essentially fighting for our lives. And I'm trying to protect them. It's very mama bear instinct. I'm trying to protect them, but they're also doing the same thing for me. They're trying to protect me and stuff like that. There was one time where I was unconscious and uh, our camp was almost was under attack and there was a fear of us being overrun. One of the positions that was held by the men, the men all ran away from it, so the women went and filled it in and they held the line and ISIS came to within 15 feet of us, and uh, the ghost protected me. You know, I was unconscious. I didn't wake up until the next day. So yeah. let me let me take a quick break, Hannah, and we'll come back and we'll we'll talk some more.
There was one encounter where six members of the YPJ were told to take a bridge. And you see this on the documentary, Fear Us Women. Six members of the YPJ were told to take a bridge that was being held by 100 ISIS members. By the end of the day, they'd taken it. So we'll come back, and there was something else. ISIS did not want to get shot by YPJ. Have Hannah tell you why that is right after this. Intelligent Talk Radio. Intelligent Talk Radio. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. There's a distinct lack of generosity and a distinct lack of caring, I think, uh, displayed by the government of Canada when they can only bring 1,200 members of the Yazidi community into this country when they're victims of genocide at the hands of ISIS. And you have a, an anonymous uh, vote by the members of parliament in 2016 to endorse the fact that it's a Yazidi genocide, and yet we can only bring 1,200 in, according to Mr. Trudeau and his government. We're going to be talking to a Yazidi human rights activist shortly. Hannah Bowman is my guest now. She is a Canadian woman who fought with the YPJ, a Kurdish all-women's military uh, unit, and uh, they took ISIS on, head-on, in the Middle East. Hannah, why did they not want to get killed by you or by any other woman? I just believe if they're killed by women, they, they go to hell. But this is what makes ISIS a very difficult person to fight. Is their, their objective is not to live, it's to go to the kingdom of Allah. So they don't really care about the life that we have here on earth. They want to do whatever it can to build a caliphate, and if they get killed doing it, then that's, that's their goal. They go, to, they go to Allah. So it's a big, it's a big goal for them to, to die honorably in their minds and go to Allah. But if they believe, or they believe that if they are killed by women, because women are not human, we're animals, they will not go to heaven. So they don't like to fight us. Mm-hmm. So um, they believe they just, they'll go to hell if they get killed by women, which is why I wrote that poem. Uh, yeah, tell us about that. The, tell us about the poem that did you have tattooed on your arm? Yeah, it's, it's a poem I wrote in Syria. It's, it's just four lines. It's fear us, women, O enemies of humanity. For you who die by our hands will burn in hell forever. And what's the reaction been from Canadians when they find out what you've done? When they, uh, whether they're facing you face to face or whether they're communicating you with with you in some other way, maybe social media, I don't know. How do they respond? How do Canadians respond to you? Most Canadians have no idea what's going on. They don't. Even, they've not even heard of the YPJ. We live in a pretty big bubble here, uh, geographically remote, and also, you know, like newsworthy remote kind of thing. We just they're just not aware. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, when they do find out, they're pretty positive about it. There hasn't really been any. Negative. There's been a couple of haters, but they're they're just trolls. So you just ignore them, right? Don't feed the troll kind of thing. But for the most part, people are pretty, you know, pretty supportive, pretty impressed by it. Um, they want to learn more. So that's good. That's good. That's ultimately my goal is to raise awareness of it. What would you say to Mr. Trudeau if you, if you were standing in front of you right now and he was telling you that only 1,200 Yazidis are coming into this country or are here? Um, I'm actually okay with the, with their diligence. Um, I would like to see more refugees, of course, not just Yazidis, but, you know, Syrian refugees and stuff like that. I would like to see them, especially because Turkey is holding them hostage. I would like to see us bring more. But I understand due diligence. 
the the U.S. has said that they need a system like Canada's to uh, you know to go through the, the refugees. It's a big deal to bring them here. That's because they want to check them out and make sure that they are bringing the right people. Here. So I'm okay with that part of it. Yeah, well, say, um, you, you, of course I would like to see more come. Yeah, um, we need to support them. They're just they've had a rough go from the very start, they, especially the Yazidis. They've I think they've had over a dozen genocide attempts on them in the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. And they also say they're not getting much assistance from the United Nations in the Middle East either. So they're pretty much on their own. They've got two hundred. A lot of that is local politics in the Middle East. You get, um, like, for instance, Palestinian refugees who go into the KRG region of Iraq, they have trouble getting registered as refugees because the KRG, I guess, gets money to keep them there. So they want to keep the money. The same thing. Turkey does the same thing, right? It's hard to get refugee status. So. Mm Yeah, it's it's difficult. They have that difficulty to begin with. I'm just right now in the process of helping to smuggle out some refugees. And the bribes I have to pay to the government, the, the fees I have to pay at airports, and it's just ridiculous. But it, it's just the way it is there, right? So it's it's a bad system all around. These people are looking for help, and they're not getting it. Yeah, when you, you said in your... Iraq is completely useless. So. You, you said in your, uh, in your uh, documentary... You don't blame people for trying to get away from the hell they're living in, going somewhere where life yeah. is much better for them. And I don't think anybody would blame people who are tr- want to get away from living in a hellish situation and going somewhere where things are indeed better. How Do you think things are going to improve from what your experience in the Middle East, from what you've seen, and the people you've talked to, and what you know? Is it going to be a situation where in our lifetimes, or certainly your lifetime, or, the kids, or a little kid's lifetime, uh, that the situation will improve significantly for the people in the, in the region? I think there's only one real hope for significant improvement, and that is to recognize the Kurdish revolution in northern Syria. And I say Kurdish revolution uh, loosely because it's actually a multi-ethnic uh, secular revolution. Everyone's welcome there. You can go there and they will welcome you with open arms and, and you can become part of society. So that is the best hope because it's a purely democratic model. It's a true form of democracy, bottom-up democracy. And uh, and like I said, it's egalitarian, it's secular, everyone's welcome, you know, and, and it's also very ecological. They say you're allowed to build wealth, you're allowed to own property, you just can't do it at the expense of the environment or the people. Really nice, really nice things that they're doing, and, they, and they're doing it, they're living it, they've been doing it for a few years now, so it works. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it's surrounded by people who, for a hundred years or so, have had their dictatorships, have had their, you know, their oppressive regimes, and do not want to lose that. So they're fighting it. Turkey... Iran, Iraq, you know, Syria, those governments there do not want this revolution. So, unfortunately, I don't, it'll be a very difficult struggle for them. Okay. It, is, it is the best chance for peace, but unless the outside world supports it. Right. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us, and I would, ima- I would urge people, urge our listeners to uh, watch your documentary, fearuswomen.com, fearuswomen.com. It's uh, under 30 minutes, and it's a really, really, it's award-winning uh, documentary. It's it's a good watch, and it'll 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 teach you a lot. Thank you, Hannah. All the best to you. Thank you, Hannah Bowman on the Roy Green Show, on the Chorus Radio Network, fighting with the YPJ unit against ISIS. When we come back, we'll talk to Dalal Abdi. She is a Yazidi human rights activist in Canada and a member of Yazda, the international Yazidi organization. Twelve hundred are in this country. It should be significantly more. We'll talk about that. Stay with us.